Who's that from? The song that you were humming. Is, Is it from... Rocky? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be from Shrek. <laughs> sure that's not something from Lord of the Rings? I don't know. I never watched that. What? Don't wide-eye me. I don't like that kind of shit. I mean... I don't like Harry Potter. I don't like Lord of the Rings. What the fuck? I try. <laughs> I try. First of all, I'm not going to shame you okay, with my mouth, but I will with my eyes. <laughs> but what a treat for you to be able to watch those for the first time ever. I'd love to be able to watch... What, you, Game of Thrones, right? No. Did you at least watch Game of Thrones? No, and that would be the only reason that I would watch Game of Thrones. You told me that you're like, you got to watch Game of Thrones. Just watch Game of Thrones. It's a recap. You can get all the info that you need. Yeah, but wouldn't some of the inside jokes be like, oh, Dracarys. Oh my god, this coffee is so good. I brought you a handful of Jolly Ranchers, but I ate them on the way over here. <laughs> that sounds like what I did when you asked me to bring you food when you were about to give birth. <laughs> it was like a baggie full of almonds and a Clarbra or something. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. All right. So we are in season one, episode four. Who are we, though? Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. We're in season one, episode four. And this episode is called Hysteria. So it opens in Stabler's home. And Maureen, his daughter, the, the first piece of dialogue that she says is, did I mention that Wendy got her navel pierced? And I'm just like, OMG, writers in their 40s. <laughs> Like, right. what Who little girl navel? is like, she got her navel pierced. <laughs> That's um, right above her pubic mound. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen is his other daughter, and they're like, what's going on with you? And she's like, my friend's pregnant. And then it cuts to Stabler and his wife in bed, oh. and he's laying there like, wide-eyed what? I was going to say, their teen daughter's eating again. Oh, yeah, their teen daughter's eating. Which was the episode It's pretty that. much whatever Stabler is working on. Whatever he's going through emotionally with his family. It projects like, onto his family, which yeah. makes me think that his family's a fucking hologram. Yeah. <laughs> So he's lying in bed. It's the middle of the night. The phone rings. Crime scene. Benson and Stabler go and they meet uh, the vice cop at the scene. D'Angelo. D'Angelo. He um, sucks. Yeah, he he sucks. He identifies himself as a gross dork pretty much immediately, like right mm -hmm. off the bat. I have here read a room trash yeah. <laughs> because he's just like every time he says something and they're both like, ugh. One of the things he says is don't get your boxes in a twist. She's NIH. NH1. Which... No human involved. Oh, wait. NHI. NHI. <laughs> VH1. She's VH1. <laughs> she's actually, she's a pop-up video. <laughs> so, yeah, he's saying, uh, they're going over, like, the specs on her. They're saying she's a dead sex worker. Um, they, they use every fucking word in this to describe sex work except for sex work. They say prostitutes, whores, working girls, hookers. So if we slip, it's really just a quote from the show. Yeah. Because that's, I think the word prostitute was the nicest thing to say mm -hmm. at the time. I mean, for a while in this episode, they were calling them prosts. She was a prost. Is know? that this? Is that just like the precinct shorthand? Yeah. How much more time do you get in your life for <laughs> losing the tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> so she was asphyxiated, um, and they don't know for a fact that she is a sex worker. They just uh, make that assumption, and because he's saying because of what of, she's wearing. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying a bunch of trashy trash, and he's like, and that's where that comes from. When you were like, oh, what's this? The smell thing. Oh, he was, yeah, he was he's saying he's like, oh. oh, yeah, after all this time that I've been working this, you can just smell it. You yeah. can smell him because he's uh, garbage. Ugh. And then he basically implies that, like, who cares? She's just a sex worker. Immediately I was like, okay, he's the murderer. Yeah, which, again, 
SVU 101, Law and Order 101, it's not going to be him. Mm-hmm. So intro, Chris Maloney still. Chris Maloney still. I did notice that. I've mm-hmm. been watching. Yeah. Still molestation. <laughs> it's like, sorry, if you put it in like typewriter font, it doesn't make it more like It intensifies weird. it a lot. I want to see it in Comic Sans. <laughs> Okay, so they're kind of they're at the print they're kind of at the precinct. They're going over the case, and Craig mentions that there's this woman named Carmel, or is it Carmela? Carmel. Carmel. He mentions the uh, similarities between the victims. Victim was found with a bag over her head, and she was she tied up. Uh, no, she wasn't. She she was asphyxiated. But then he he was saying homicide j- had a case just like this. Her name was Carmel. You know, just like linking them to give them like a, a thread mm-hmm. to go off of. So they're like kind of trying. They're already kind of being like. Okay, there's like a series that like this is happening to sex workers because mm-hmm. they still think she's a sex worker. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler go around. They go to um trying to get help from sex workers and they were scattering and they're like, no, we're not going to bust you. We're just trying to get some information. Um, And they had the picture of the Vic. Yeah. Well, they were just telling them about the killer's MO is like the garbage bag the over the head. Targeting sex workers. Yeah. Yep. And um, then one of them popped up and said, oh, it happened to this Puerto Rican girl, Lorinda. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like like uh, Linda from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Lorenza don't forget your sweaters okay she was able to get away and so they're like oh we need to find her they don't know where she is so then one of the girls says go to 9th 9th street so they go up to 9th and they talk to a group of trans sex workers there's a turf war yeah one of one of them had the 90th pencil thin brows and she was eating (laughs) chicken wings the whole time and I loved her And so there was like this whole turf war between like groups, like different groups of sex workers that kind of stick together. And it's really based on like cis girls and and trans girls. And they kick Lorinda out of there and they're like, we don't know where she went. Then we're we're just like peppered throughout the episode with Stabler being concerned about his daughter. His daughter, Kathleen, she's 12. Her friend, we find out, is pregnant and 14. Mm -hmm. So he's telling Benson this. And she's like, oh my God. Anyway, we need to fucking work. Somebody's dead. They're back to talking to D'Angelo, that shitty cop. He remembers Carmel. Dude gets kind of sassy with Stabler. Yeah. Do you remember? What did he say? He just kept like dehumanizing the women and the Vic, really. Yeah. I remember Stabler kind of like steps up in his face a little bit and he like looking back. Oh, around. because, yeah, because D'Angelo was like, isn't there a sensitivity training oh, session right. you should be at? And he's like, mm. And just like turns around slowly and like steps like, up. Like, what him. are you gonna do? You're not gonna. You're not gonna just eat your fucking scramble or whatever at this <laughs> diner and let Stabler handle his business. Yep. But so he's sitting there with his partner. Is it his partner? I don't think they ever like. Or it's just a, a fellow it's cop. Probably like Squeege or Jacoby or. <laughs> <laughs> well, this other. What was the? What was the first one? Scooch. Jacoby. Jacoby. Get out of here. So the other cop sitting at the diner counter, Riddling, he was a lot more helpful. And he's like, oh, yeah, Lorinda Gutierrez gives them a little oh, bit more to... the last name. Yeah, the, more to go on. That's going to take them on to the next thing. Uh, then we have a um, scene of bad bitches. Benson and Jeffrey's rock climbing together, discussing destroying the patriarchy. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's it, She's yeah. just like telling... Yeah, Benson's just telling Jeffrey's about it. And Jeffrey's like, that's bullshit. These dudes suck. Yeah, I like that they had that moment where they were like, this is what it's like to be like a cop <laughs> to be a female cop. cops yeah and i'm wondering what middle america is thinking watching it like the the middle american woman sitting there watching this episode going like i feel like that too sometimes 
but I can't really put my finger on it because we're still in 1999 and the climate of gender relations is so different than it is in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Or are they going like, look at these women. They probably have penises. <laughs> like whatever people thought in the <laughs> 90s when they got scared of change. Uh, they're in with the coroner. There are some notable distinctions that the coroner finds that throw off this whole sex worker issue. The Vic, she has extensive extensive dental work. Expensive extensive dental work. That's why that was hard for me to say. Yeah, they found like whole foods in her tummy. Yep. No drugs, no rape, and she's full of vegetables, soybeans, and whole grains. Yeah, they called her a quote-unquote clean hooker. Yeah, and, and then Benson's like, like, how 90s? So now they're like, we're kind of thinking she's not a sex worker. Yeah, they that just kind of like put up a little bit of a little bit of a flag for them. They're still continuously referring to her as a prostitute solely based on her outfit. Mm-hmm. This is once you get down to it, and we get to like um, surprise, surprise, we get to like Munch's munchiest moment. Ugh. Speaking of Munch, he's in court. That was, you know, how they do the whole, like, beginning of the episode. They're at the precinct, and then somebody's got to go to the Supreme Court because they're testifying. Well, this time it was Munch. He's ungodly annoying. Munch sucks, but he fucking owns the shit. He, yeah, I wrote, he's annoying, but on the right side of annoying. This doctor was claiming that he was treating this woman for hysteria. She was looking for, like, a Prozac prescription. Instead, the doctor's like, well, think about David Hasselhoff and lean back. The just grossest power differential bullshit. And he's like, O-R-G-A-S-M. They're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, much. <laughs> right. Um, What'd you expect? It's- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He explains how the practice is illegal, and so is videotaping it. Like, the fact that they're even in the Supreme Court for this. Like, the right. guy videotaped himself schwacking some chick for hysteria. But like, it's 1862. Right. I mean, and Munch goes into all of the annoying, I know a lot of stuff detail, even though it's, like, very helpful. Like, he goes on about the history of hysteria and that women used to be, quote-unquote, manually treated, mm-hmm. which really just means these doctors would sexually assault them and um, be like, you're cured now Mm -hmm. or come back in a week and for another treatment yeah this is pre-vibrator i mean before the dot this one doctor invented a vibrating saddle for women to sit on Mm -hmm. so maybe he was praise be praise (laughs) (laughs) under his eye (laughs) so like i feel maybe there was like one good doctor that was like this is disgusting i'm just gonna have them they need it but i don't need to be doing it (laughs) yeah um there has to be a better way I wrote, you cool munch for now. For now, yeah. Give him a second. Give him three seconds. So Jeffries finds a match for the Jane Doe and missing persons, and her name is Tracy Henderson. Mm-hmm. So Benson and Stabler go out to Tracy's house to talk to her parents. And up until this point, she's referred to as Jane Doe, but n- from now on, they refer to her as Tracy because that's her fucking name. Benson and Stabler are there. They go to her parents' house. It's fancy as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's in a fancy as fuck neighborhood, and they're asking her parents questions about their daughter. Oh, what? Do you know what she's doing in the city? And they're like, yeah, she's majoring in cultural studies at Columbia College and then her mom's like yeah she volunteers at a literacy center and and they're like hmm well we've got to show you something and they show a pic from the crime scene of their dead fucking daughter now I'm gonna back up a little bit I don't feel like that's how things work 
They are in her goddamn house with her parents. Who are visibly upset because they haven't heard from her. You know her mom's got a photo album. You know her mom's got a baby grand piano in their fancy ass living room with photos of her daughter from prom and shit. Walk around the house. Yeah. Ask to use the restroom and take a peek at a photo or ask to see a photo of her. Like, yeah. this was the, so, like, it, <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? This, this isn't, isn't real. It's not the way things actually work, right? No. So they show they show the parents this photo. The dad like emotionally shuts down to console his wife who has a really beautiful quiet breakdown. Mm -hmm. Like she sits down in a chair and is just like sweet silent weeping as they're mourning just finding out that their daughter is dead via seeing the fucking shit. Mm -hmm. And they're like oh by the way the person that we think killed her was targeting sex workers. Your daughter was a prostitute. Yeah so your daughter was probably a prostitute. And the the mom mom. stands up slowly stands up. Stoic. Walks up to Stabler. She gets within like 10 inches from his face, smoothly lifts her hand and slaps him across the face. And that was a real slap too. It was a good one. It wasn't a fake one. There was no... Uh, you saw a face ripple because I re- rewound it a couple times. Because mm. I, I, I know Christopher Maloney was Likes like... getting hit. He was like, yeah. Well, he was like, do it. I'm a man. I can take it. I'm huge in all parts of my body and life. Oh, although it doesn't seem relevant at this point, the victim is an African-American girl... Her parents are African-American. You wouldn't think that it has anything to do with this based on any of the dialogue until like the last four minutes of the episode. And we're like, mm. gotta throw this in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is the scene where we're reminded again why months shouldn't work SVU. Mm-hmm. And you fucking don't. You're retired, you fucking turd. Yeah. Okay. Go home. Go golfing. Go sit at a coffee shop and don't talk to me. And I like how the his like protege... Fucking Dean Winters, whatever his name is in Cassidy. In real life, I was going to say, which is SVU. (laughs) Cassidy's in the background, like, laughing at everything Munch says. Yeah. He's like... You know, I'm like, dude, don't let this be the guy that you look up to. Right. I have like angry munch chills right now. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are in the precinct reevaluating mm-hmm. the sex worker angle because they have to change what they're doing. They're going to be looking into different leads based mm-hmm. on this girl. Like they're not going to be talking to other sex workers and all that stuff if they're trying to figure out this girl's death. Well, and they're also kind of thinking that maybe they thought she was a, sec- a sex worker. Yeah. The killer. Yeah. So and Munch then- comes in because they're just talking and they're in the precinct and Munch just walks in and goes, then what's Missed Goody Two Shoes doing wearing Rock My World pumps, not to mention the Micro Mini and Belly shirt? Why are you cut? Ca- Fuck you. Fuck Munch. We don't need to say it every time he's on the screen, but okay, do but we? we do. I think maybe. But <laughs> do we? Yeah. The women in the room, Jeffries and Benson, are rightfully annoyed by everything that the guys are saying because Hard all the guys rolling, are like passing out. They're all Just... dumping little tidbits of bullshit. Yeah, even Stabler's like, I wouldn't let my daughter leave the house like that. Yeah, which I know you don't even want to mention, but he's an imperfect man. So then, like, Jeffries ends up in Munch's face after he refers to the girl as a dead whore. Mm-hmm. Anyway, SVU. Oh, yeah, everyone. Fuck you, Munch. How about why was a dude going around killing women? Mm -hmm. Jeffries is all fucking pissed, pacing around a little bit because she's mad at the whole thing about the clothes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, uh, Cragen was like, somebody needs to go talk to the living victim, Linda Gutierrez. Jeffrey grabs it because Munch was going to be like, I'll go. And she's like, fuck you, you go. After all that shit. Wait a second. The boyfriend. When did they find out she had a boyfriend? Oh, the parents. Yeah. They mentioned it um, when they were at the precinct. They're like, well, because they were like, is there anybody else, you know, that we can talk to to work on this lead about her specifically because they mentioned Lorinda but then they're like well that's not going to help 
office if she's not a prostitute, quoting. And they're like, well, she had a boyfriend, but the parents didn't know very much about him. Like, go talk to the boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So Benson and Stabler go to talk to Teresa's boyfriend at his office. His name's Dennis Callafield. And I just, in quotes, wrote, touch football and crab cakes. That's what Marilyn does. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you've seen... Uh, wedding crashers he's basically that guy i recognized him from stuff oh. i can't say anything I, I mean i don't know what it's from but i obviously so in my mind i wrote like so obviously it's him right. like i recognized him but also with crime is like always the boyfriend or always the husband or mm-hmm. whatever right so you're so kind of he- like this guy's definitely and i noted a couple things when they talked to him at this point like he's he's a question he's questionable like throughout their conversation and sometimes I'll watch this stuff and I'm just like is he questionable or is he just not a really great actor acting on TV yeah because you know like if you hear somebody in real life talking you're just like mm, that sounds like a rehearsed it's statement. not like that one lady last episode that was like um yeah you are annoying me a little yeah. <laughs> You're like, she's a queen as far as actresses go, though. I would believe anything she said to me. Yeah. So he he's telling them that they so it's been like three days, right? And they had dinner plans that night. And he said she didn't get back to him for three days. So he didn't call question mark or anything. He's you're supposed to be the boyfriend and she didn't show up for dinner. And you just are like, well, she's probably busy for three days, please. Exactly. He assumed that she got caught up with work um, and he watched the Yankees with Bill Griswold, his buddy. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, oh yeah. So he gives out his alibi right away. Maybe she was clubbing with her community literacy program people. Sounds like a wild crowd. (laughs) They could be. What what a dick. Like, I don't need to say that. But when he, but that was the other thing. When he gives the phone number of the alibi, he's like, here you go. It's right in my front pocket. Yeah. They go to the community center. They get information on Travis Hall, a kid that she mentors. The teacher just mentions he's a parolee and he hasn't been to the center and da 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 da. He's from Rikers. He's, yeah, he's out of, he's out of Rikers. Um, There I go. So they're like... So they go to his apartment and they find him OD'd. Yeah. So he and they're like, he's been dead for like a week. They're back at the precinct and they're just chalkboarding out similarities of Vicks and possible suspects. They mention the perp wearing gloves, but they pass it off as contamination from police because the powder or whatever that they found, it was from police issued gloves. So they're like, oh yeah, that was the forensic team. Like Yeah, when the forensic team was going over the crime scene. And Jeffries was like, weird, because that was, I think, I think she said Wong. And that guy's super meticulous. So I'm really mm. surprised by that boop 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 noted the worst dialogue ever about trans women happens mm, the he she thing again oh my god Cragen, where the girls aren't actually girls but boys being girls and Jeffries goes yeah they weren't very forthcoming about where they chase the female hookers during the he she turf war basically what they come up with is the key is finding Gutierrez so Benson and Stabler find Gutierrez and bring her in this is where we need to start our bulletin board of queens that come through. Yeah. I hate that Sigler keeps yelling, sweetheart, sweetheart. He's like, Jesus. You got to dehumanize him a little bit. That's what they're used to. So <laughs> I don't know what the actress's real name is, but it's Gloria Mendoza from Orange is the New that Black. Is, yeah. I have a yeah. ton of exclamation points right there. I was like, it's the mom. <laughs> it's gloria (laughs) i want to like make up a whole bulletin of like all the people because there's so many so many people get their start and she is adorable yeah and amazing and i believe her as an actress yeah (laughs) so then they they take her in she's in an interrogation room she didn't get a look at his face because he shined a flashlight in her face 
hit her with the flashlight, puts a bag over her head. She couldn't really grab at his hands because he had gloves on. So she grabs on and janks his nuts. That's how she gets him to let her go because he's suffocating her with this freaking bag. And she takes off. And she's crying and says the most true thing that has said in this episode. What, did he finally attack somebody that matters? Yeah. And the thing is, he did. Yeah. No, and and they all, and they all are kind of like, fucking guilty yeah because no truer words have ever been said because there's so many i mean you'll see it in the the nhi comment right in the true crime chaser i have today there's so so much of that is clear benson and stabler are going over with the other cops what she said about her hand positioning so now they're in back in the precinct they're kind of of starting to put it together with the gloves and the flashlight thing and the hand positioning of the light right because here's another another spot where munch is finally useful yeah just the facts he goes over and this is actually really interesting because Olivia is saying this she couldn't really see his face because she covered her eyes and he's like is that the hand position she used and she had her hand like slightly over her forehead kind of tilted out as if the light is coming from above and down Mm -hmm. and Munch gets out a flashlight and shines the light into the faces of the other cops going like this is how a civilian holds a flashlight and it's it's straight on yeah and they put their hand like pretty much over over their their, just over their eyes like like you would do like somebody puts a flashlight in your face you just put it over your eyes but it's low because the light would be coming from a lower position and he said and this is how an officer holds a flashlight mm-hmm. and he's got it elbow out hand like over the shoulder your bicep. Yeah. yeah flashlight down so the hand is up over the top of your eyes yeah so they're like holy shit powder the police issued gloves the fucking flashlight benson and stabler are like okay we got a little bit of we're cooking with fish grease now yeah you know and they're talking about the different cops that go around they're, they're asking the sex workers which cops come around looking for ass yeah pretty much and all of the girls are like we hate d'angelo like d'angelo's yeah. trash he's abusive he's a dick yeah they don't talk about him coming for ass but when he busts them and shit he's extra violent and like right just treats him like garbage because that's what he thinks the, uh, they are mm-hmm. so then benson and stabler are telling craig and and it turns out briscoe from law and order regular used to work at the same precinct as d'angelo oh and they were having like a little italian dinner together yeah <laughs> cute. oh it made me want to eat and they were both talking about how they don't drink anymore right yeah Oh, they're so cute. And they had these cute little stories back and forth. They were and... sipping on pureed red vines. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, they didn't have knives or red vines through the entire episode. I felt like I didn't even know Craig. Yeah, they should have been just like stabbing the meatballs. <laughs> So they're at this dinner. Craigan's asking Briscoe about D'Angelo and having worked with him and what was he like and da-da-da. And he's like, okay, I get it. You're like interrogating me about this guy. Yeah, he's a douchebag and whatever else. But the real crazy guy you should ask me about is his partner, Ridley. Yeah. There was like a whole golf tournament thing. That yeah. They they, so they were at this golf outing. Ridley had sunk this deep putt. The whole crowd was cheering. He's like, you should have seen this guy. Cold as ice. Doesn't even react. Doesn't crack a smile. And then in the very next swing, whatever, I'm like, <laughs> Golf terms. Um, the very next golf hole. Is it a hole when it's starting the beginning? It doesn't matter. He he swings, he puts it into the woods, and the, he's like, You should have seen this guy. He just lost his mind. I've never seen somebody go so nuts before. So he's like He so, like attacked a ball washing a ball washer. Yeah. Which at first for a second I was like, I thought it was a person. Uh-huh. And then I was like, Oh wait, it's a machine. Cause, cause he was like, he attacked with a golf club, and I was like, How is this guy not in prison? <laughs> 
<laughs> this was a cop golf outing. So he was like, oh, you need to look at this guy. So then we're back at the precinct. Cragen gives Benson and Stabler a file from the Internal Affairs Department. It's Ridley's file. Mm-hmm. Benson's like, how'd you get this? And he's like, I've got my ways. But the, the long and short of that is he has a history. He's been investigated for assault on two sex workers. There was a domestic charge by his ex-wife. Everything was dropped. So this guy has a pattern of pulling fucked up shit and getting off on it. Mm -hmm. And there was even a psych report in there that was alarming. The best quote of the episode, I think, should be noted here, is Craig and saying, go back to the first sandbox he ever farted in. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. So now... Can they say fart on TV at 1999? If they couldn't, they were just farting down boundaries. (laughs) Was the whole world like... Oh my God, kids, go to bed. (laughs) This is disgusting. Okay, so now they go to Kew Gardens, where this guy grew up. Mm-hmm. And the I, neighbors. Want, I want to do just a quick little Oh, shit. Am I scene. the husband? You can be the husband and Stabler. I'll be the wife. Okay. Okay, so first they go to Kew Gardens. Benson and Stabler talk to the cutest New Yorkiest elderly couple. Kid was a nightmare. Things weren't easy for that boy. Well, how can you stand there and defend him? Poor thing with that mother of his. Why? What about her? Stabler, I should have been like, why? What about her? <laughs> Saltines. That was the sign. If the crackers were outside the door, he wasn't to come in. That meant she was in there with a customer. You know, a Johnny. He'd sit outside the door all night sometimes in the cold, in the rain. He can hear the goings-on in there. Saltines for dinner. Imagine. Then they pan over the husband's face and he's just like... Like... (laughs) Yeah? Okay, first of all, and scene. They're they're (laughs) adorable... These adorable people that are just so concerned and remember these details from when this guy was a child 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember ever inviting him in when it was raining and he was eating crackers yeah. on his front step listening <laughs> to his mom fuck dudes? I imagine like her looking through the window and being like, oh, I, can you, I can't believe it. The pot roast is almost done, Henry. Hold on a second. Give oh. me another blanket. I'm cold. Smoking inside. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler, they're just, you know, adorable Benson and Stabler bantering in the conference room of the precinct about Ridley. And they're like, oh, we need to look into this more. And she's like, I'm going to figure this out. I got to stay here. And Stabler's off to practice soccer with his daughter, Kathleen. I hate the sort of language around that it's always like the mom or like the woman's fault that like somebody becomes a serial killer. They're like, well, what did the mom do? She liked him too much or she hung Mm. out with her. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, like, of course, yeah, there's like abuse in the family and stuff. But it's always focused on like the mother's relationship with the son, which is really weird. I say it all the time. I'm just going to do my best because I am going to be the number one thing that my kids talk about to their therapist. Yeah, Regardless like of like yeah. how often, not, not, that's not like carte blanche to like, you know, shoot up meth or anything, yeah. but <laughs> just, you know, like I might not have the best day or do you shoot up meth. Is that a thing? I mean, I can you? You can. Oh, I don't know. Oh yeah. You can shoot up anything. If you I've, try only, hard enough. I've only seen. <laughs> I've only seen cocaine in person like one time. That was like cocaine a- and meth are different. Okay. Just anyway. Um I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Stabler goes off to practice soccer with his daughter, Kathleen. She's 12. She's 12. She's got a pregnant friend. Benson's like, make sure to let her know how hard she's got to guard the... Using, like, the being a goalie is to, like, guarding your virginity. Right. Just, like, chill out. 
Yeah. So Kathleen picks she up on this them. shit yeah. immediately because he's throwing out little like dadisms during yeah. this uh, little soccer back and forth. Guard it with your life. They'll be coming for you at every angle, he says. He's obviously talking about sex through soccer. I'm a virgin, okay, dad? And the comedic perfection in Chris Maloney's timing <laughs> yeah. is everything that you need to see to make you watch Wet Hot American Summer. Yep. Takes an extra beat and just goes, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Olivia's working super hard. Yeah. And she crashes at the precinct. I said it right. <laughs> She's like all up Ridley's dick hole. Yep. And she cross references where Ridley's work and sex workers killed in the area. 31 years of shit she went over all night long. All night. I would yeah. never sleep at a precinct, by the way. No. I would never. Oh my God. I watched the shit on TV dudes. and I barely sleep. Yeah. Oh, you mean you would never sleep like because of the creepy factor? Dude, fuck that shit. Yeah, but you know she sleeps with one eye open and she carries like two guns minimum on her. Oh, I love this show. I know. So Stabler comes in and Benson shows him. She's like, look what I did. And it is the most disturbing, like, line of photos. It's 19 photos of women. Sex workers. Yep. Mm -hmm. All lined up to have them. Like, when you line up all of the photos next to each other, they're all holding hands like paper dolls. Mm -hmm. And it's like a pattern of serial killer positioning. Like, the pattern is just laid out there before them. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, we need to go pick up Ridley. They take a crew out there to go pick him up. And washing his car. He's washing his car. And again, I picture... I picture Will Ferrell in old school. <laughs> hey, Mike, he's watching his yeah. car. Here I go again. I'm out. So he's chill to the creepiest extent. Mm-hmm. You know, they go through the whole rigmarole of arresting him and they leave him in the interrogation room with all the pics and they're mm-hmm. watching him through the window because they're like, okay, we're going to we're gonna let him sit in there. They're observing him. They're watching him look at the photos. They're like, he's admiring it like it's art. Yeah, he's like smug as shit. Yeah, 45 minutes, they leave him in there by himself. They walk in and he immediately confesses like a psychopath. And he was like smiling. He was just like chit-chatting about it. He's like, you guys finally got it. And took you long enough. Yeah, it took you long enough and like, I like that you guys caught the holding hands thing nice job yeah i was like fuck he doesn't even care right but he said that the current vic that they're working on he pulls her picture down she's not mine yeah he was even pointing out like this one was my favorite one and here's why Mm -hmm. but you got one thing wrong this one isn't mine and they have no reason to not believe him because he's fucking saying like yeah he's admitting to everything so and then stabler says lethal injection is the same for 18 as it is for 19 so then i looked into lethal injection in new york a little bit Mm -hmm. so in 1995 governor george pataki signed a statute into law that lethal injection could be used in the state of New York because before that it had been like it wasn't on the books or wasn't legal the thing I read was the last time was like in the 60s or 50s that they had the electric chair um, and then they said it was unconstitutional but then they brought back lethal injection in 95. You know that France had the guillotine until the 70s? Woof. Yeah, okay, keep going though, sorry. In June 2004, the state's highest court ruled in People v. Laval that the state's death penalty statute violated the state constitution, and New York has had an effective moratorium on capital punishment since then. Uh, Subsequent legislative attempts at fixing or replacing the statute have failed, and in 2008, Governor David Patterson issued an executive order disestablishing New York's death row. Legislative efforts to amend the statute have failed, and death sentences are no longer sought at the state level, though certain crimes that fall under the jurisdiction of the federal government are subject to the federal death penalty. Even though the current death penalty statute was ruled unconstitutional by New York 
State Court of Appeals in 2004, the death penalty statute was never fully repealed from New York state law. On August 2nd, 2018, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that he was advancing legislation to remove the death penalty statute from New York state law. So they still technically have the death penalty, but a moratorium is really just like they table it and they're like, hey, this is like in here, but we don't use it. I don't know exactly if it has this stay put on it that it means they can't use it. It's just like paperwork now mm-hmm. to like get rid of it. I just want to say too, one of the creepiest things that, that Ridley said was he said he wanted his record accurately documented for posterity. Yeah, which is super serial. And that, that was why he was like, this isn't mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants the credit for what like everything that he has done. Mm-hmm. Cragen goes over why he believes what he's saying Ridley's meticulous in placement and they think that it looks sloppy and personal somebody that knew her so as they're doing this I'm like they need to go back and talk to the boyfriend this is I said are we back to the boyfriend mm-hmm. Ooh, and so then, then they were talking about like Olivia brings up about how fast the boyfriend like whipped out the card for his friend yeah they're like he was a little too helpful and this is super 90s I know uh, <laughs> watching the game with his best friend I know my best friend's number by heart yeah they just wrote like it doesn't happen that way anymore. I literally don't know my mom's number. Anymore. I don't know your number. I don't know. Then they're on the street with Tracy's BF Dennis's best friend. The one who we gave the card to right away. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, like, I was watching the Yankees with him. Here's his card. Yeah. So now they're talking to the pal that he was watching the Yankees with. And they're like, you know what they call an accomplice in prison? Bunkmate. They're pressing him because they're like, we know that this is not the alibi. You need to be honest. And he folds like fucking immediately. Right. Fine. Dennis's real girlfriend is a buyer for Prada. He was trying to get some strange, what he called it. And she got too clingy because turns out when he went to the club, she would go out to the club with her literacy friends and she was like, I'm going to live it up a little bit and like, you know, wear and Just get cute. Just get, yeah. Because I should be able to wear whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And he was like, and he saw her and thinking like, what did he say? The advertising, what was it? The fuck. The advertising didn't match the experience. Fucking douche bros. Yeah. And then so he had like. He was getting married and wanted some strange, had sex with this girl. She ended up being a vir- being a virgin and kind of like, And he's like, hey, she didn't I even like drink. You. It was like her, the first time she'd ever even had champagne. Oh, yeah. You should totally murder her because of that. Yeah. Well, she she, she, she woke little... up in love with him. Yeah. Um, and he also called it, they were like, oh, he wanted some jungle fever. And he was like, more like iced mocha. This was the first. I have what the fuck on like four lines. But well, I it was like they didn't even mention Stabler's the one who brought it up. He's he like, oh, jungle... he didn't He didn't get the jungle fever he was looking for. And it's like, whoa, who said anything about that? I don't love it either way. Yeah. But I'm just. But that's you know. really the only time you meant anybody mentions this color of her skin. So, and I, but I wrote even for 1999 standards, that's fucked. Right, more like iced mocha. Okay, fratty patty. <laughs> so then he's just like, yeah, he stood up Tracy and went home that night. So that's why I covered for him. Like he was like, I don't know anything about him doing anything illegal. He said that he stood her up and he went home. Yeah. So now they're back to the the partial print that they had found at the scene. Yeah. At the very beginning, they found this partial shoe print. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, we really need to deep dive into this partial. What's funny is like they're just now looking into the shoe. Thing? Okay, I don't know. But whatever. Yeah, you'd think it'd be a little more because it had blood on it. It was it wasn't like a shoe print at the park. It was mm-hmm. a shoe print at, the print was blood. And it, her it, blood. It ended up being like a super rare like shoe too. Yeah, super rare been... Valenti shoes. Yeah. So they're talking to this fancy sales guy. It's only sold at one location. Eight hundred something dollars. 
in 90s money. Mm-hmm. He owns a pair of these shoes. You know, they're not in his closet. They go to his parents' house. And I love, his, this, I love this mom in this, but go ahead. You know, now they're really coming at him about like, oh, you wanted to keep her a secret because she was black and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe that didn't need, that all of that didn't need to be called out. But they're like, we're going to go look in your room and da, 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 da. Let's look in this bag. Because he's walking out the door as they're coming in to yeah. this kid's parents' house. He's walking out the door and he's, he's got a duffel talking, bag over his shoulder. Yeah. And they're like, let's look in that bag. And Olivia's like, oh my God, he's wearing the shoes. Staler's like, nice shoes shoes and that's the end of the episode. like yeah three inch close talking yeah but i my do, favorite i like the mom in this because normally like moms are like it's not him it's my son but she was like well why didn't you tell me about her and i thought that was pretty cool because usually like moms are in these episodes are like will do anything to cover up for their children yeah but she wasn't necessarily calling him out she was just kind of like well there's got to be a perfectly reasonable explanation my mom would do that i guess yeah i would be like why didn't you tell me that seems weird mm-hmm. well, but yeah i i get it like the the swim team mom and have he's not to capable of such you know you're like mm. you're like yeah right look look at his hair <laughs> see those frosted tips please he's a murderer oh my god that hard side part that was a good episode yeah these are like my these are like my favorite kind of episodes I mean, dead the prostitutes and... dead prostitutes uh just like this i just like serial killer shit yeah i mean i don't like it it's just we all know what you mean okay thank you true crime tracer i'm so excited i can't wait This article that I found is from the New York Times, August 13th, 1995. A police officer is suspect in the killings of 24 people since 1991, including his girlfriend and several prostitutes, again, 90s language, the authorities said on Friday. Seven of the victims were slain this year. The authorities said they had suspected for about a year that a serial killer was at work in the New Orleans area, but did not disclose their investigation until Friday when they appealed to the public for some assistance. Chief Richard J. Pennington of New Orleans Police Department said that one of his officers, Victor Gant, was a suspect. The suspicion, he said, was based on the officer's relationship with two of the victims. <gasps> Officer Gant's girlfriend, Sharon Robinson, 28, a casino coin changer, was one of the victims killed on April 30th with her friend, Karen Iverster, 30. Unlike most of the victims, the women were not prostitutes. So then some details about their, this is outside of this article, but uh, some of the details of these women, they were found below I-50, the I-55 interstate in St. John's Parish. Karen was found nude in the early Early stages of rigor mortis indicating that she had been there less than a day oh and found by her were prints of women's tennis shoes and chewing tobacco mm-hmm. um, she had died of asphyxia due to suffocation three hours later Sharon was found face down in water fully dressed with a work uniform um, even wearing her ID badge so they immediately knew who she was so it took them a little while to figure out who Karen was at first they didn't think that the two were connected but then they found that she Sharon was wearing the shoes that matched the prints found next to Karen's body. Okay. And Robinson's cause of death was drowning and what they assumed was that her killer had held her face down in that body of water that she was found in until she stopped moving. Oh my god. I couldn't find any more information on the details of that and if I do, I want to go back to this in the future because they found her shoe prints. Let me go over this first and then I'm going to go back to my thoughts on on that situation. We're they maybe like together and then he killed one of them and then like took the other one or like what okay well yeah that's what i was gonna get back to is like (laughs) so karen was well karen was sharon's friend and there's all this backstory about victor gant being accused of domestic violence towards sharon there was an account from an emergency room team who treated her for like
like a busted face and she was like oh I fell and hit my face on the sink and he was there kind of hovering like they were like this is some classic abuser shit like mm-hmm. the way he was behaving and the way she was behaving they were just like we need to talk to this woman by herself and I love a check in I mean I've been checked in with giving birth to my fucking kids like they're like hey you you need to leave the room for a minute because we need to talk to her and I'm like laying there about to give birth and they're like hey is home safe and I'm like it is. And thank you so much. I just, not that women are going to be honest in those situations anyway, because there's so much fear and so much psychology and shit that's involved. Yeah. But she ended up, they they did get her aside, were direct with her. And she's like, uh, yeah, he beat the shit out of me. I could see him like having her be there. That's why her do they shoe do prints. they hospitals all the time when you come in with your male partner or partner? Like It has been my experience more times than not. Yes. Okay. That huh. I've, I've been asked that. If you're in, with somebody. In my marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, and I mean, when I go in, like when I've gone in, especially in the last few years, it's a lot of it's been pregnancy related. So they, they almost always ask me if things, if I'm safe at home. Yeah. You know, or if I feel safe, like That's wearing really that. That's really cool. I didn't know that they needed that. Yeah. yeah. It was on record then that he had, you know, he had caused the, these injuries. And it's not like her. she can call the fucking police because... He is the police. That's terrifying. Yeah. So that's why that's why I'm just like, oh, weird. Her, sh- her tennis shoe prints were by Karen's body. But I could see him having killed her friend and being like, fuck you, let's go. And she's like, just don't kill me. And then he's like, anyway, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Now we're back to this article. So Officer Gant, 33, has not been charged and remains on the force but at a desk job most of the victims were strangled or suffocated their naked bodies found near swamps some of the bodies were so decomposed that the coroner could not determine the cause of death so i looked at the killings of these 24 people and it went down the line of every person and some of them were jane does there wasn't a real distinct pattern and i kept seeing like undetermined cause of death and i'm like undetermined it's because they were so decomposed because they were being dumped in the swamp. Is it just because the lo- their jobs and the location that they were putting them all together? They're putting them together based on location and loose similarities between the victims. Among the victims. I feel like a swamp in New Orleans is like a pretty good place for lots of people to dump bodies. Right. It's like a regular... It's a body dump. And you're just like, throw them to the gators or whatever, right? Right, yeah. It's like a late night talk show host monologue. Like they all have like the same basic ideas for like political jokes. (laughs) Among the victims were 17 black women, two white women, four black men, and one white man. The police have... Well, they're, they're saying men and And I think, and then later I found that they were talking about cis women and cis men and trans women. So some of it might be a little less definable via 90s terms. Oh, sure. You know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. So the police were able to identify 18 of these people. A sketch of the suspect. Out of 24? Yeah. I feel like that's pretty good. That's a pretty good amount to identify from from a swamp. Yeah. I mean, that sucks. I'm just saying like 18 out of 24. I mean, you want to swing for 100%. I mean, you you definitely do. I'm like regretting that I said that. That's not bad. Good job, cops. (laughs) I guess. So a sketch of a suspect was drawn in 1992 after six of the killings. And the drawing shows a black man in his 30s with a large muscular build. But again, I think that they started to kind of have eyes on him because he was connected to these two women that were killed. But all these other people were involved in sex work. Mm-hmm. And these other every single wi- one, they're all sex workers. Yeah, or well, the ones they could identify. Yeah, the women that they believe that Gant killed weren't, but they were dumped in the same location mm-hmm. that these other people were found in. So then they were just like, hmm, now we're gonna tack on and like look at you for all these other ones. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of 
misconceived that this guy is a serial killer, but he is listed as a possible serial killer, like when you Google him. Uh, so the slayings began in August 4th, 1991, and numbered five that year. All the victims were linked to the New Orleans neighborhood of Algiers, which lies across the Mississippi River from the uh, rest of New Orleans. The murders stopped for six months. It stopped after a sketch was put out oh. of the killer. Um, how, how did they get a sketch? Was there like witnesses or was there? Uh, I think somebody saw a dude uh, leaving the location. Okay. I read that somewhere, but th- I don't have the notes on it. The murder stopped for six months and then began again June 2nd, 1992 with the subsequent victims linked to Treme. If I'm mispronouncing this shit, it's New Orleans. Like I'm I'm proud that I'm not saying New Orleans. Yeah. So just take take what you will. If you're from there, I'm sorry. Uh, an old residential neighborhood adjoining the French Quarter. So it was a different location. So it's like, oh, did this killer move? They just found a different location. Four people were killed in 1992, two in 93. The numbers of victims then escalated, six in 94, and seven so far in 95. Jeez. The most recent was in May of 95. Um, and again, this article is from August of 1995. The Federal Bureau of Investigation and the police from New Orleans and its surrounding parishes organized a task force in May to investigate the killings. Then I just have some bullet points. Gant was fired for departmental violations in 1995 following him being investigated for these murders. Mm-hmm. In 97, he sued the department and said the findings were drummed up to fire him because they couldn't find evidence to link him to the killings of his girlfriend Sharon Robinson and her friend Karen Ivester. In 99, he was back at work after years of being publicly ID'd by his chief and the FBI as a suspect in two of the 24 killings. And then they hired him back? They had to. Oh. They say that they didn't have grounds to fire him because mm-hmm. they, they're like, you're fired him because you think that he's this killer and it hasn't been proven, so give him his job back. Mm-hmm. It was investigated by a serial murders task force. Task force. I'm hungry. <laughs> Let's go get food after this. Okay. What do you, please. Uh, so, investigated by a serial murderer's task force, the city's civil service board ordered that he be reinstated, and he began... Oh, hold on. What? Will you say that three times fast? Serial murderer's task force. No. Ser- ser- city's civil service board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the well. SSB. <laughs> so, the big old S- CSSB. SBO? CSB. Oh my god, I can't. It's in front of me and I can't do it. Um, So they insisted that he be reinstated and he began administrative duties. Now, here's this. The focus eventually turned to Russell Elwood, a different dude, about the killings. Yeah. So eventually, as far as Victor Gant goes, a state appeals court ruled that the battery of his girlfriend and other infractions justify firing so he lost his job again. So fuck that guy. He's trash. Yeah. But but he was never formally charged because they didn't have, like, evidence to take him down and I try I was like I was googling so hard I was just like burning through the google trying I'm like where is he now yeah and I can't find him hmm it was then suggested that more than one killer is responsible for these which makes a lot of sense because it's not a solid mo yeah. on the deaths just was, because people are was the other guy cop too no but I have some shit on him oh my god were they pals anything no there's no connection so he possibly killed his girlfriend and his girlfriend's friend in the same swamp that a serial killer was dumping dumping stuff. bodies yeah so there's 
all these bodies, after all of this stuff with Victor Gant, they started looking at Russell Elwood. They arrested longtime suspect Russell Elwood in two of the murders. Um, investigators said that Elwood, a former taxi driver, remains a key suspect in the deaths of at least nine of the 26 victims found since 1991. So two more bodies came up, by the way, because mm. when we, were, if you remember, the 95 article of Victor Gant was saying that there were 24 bodies. Now they're saying there's 26. So the 26 victims found since 91 most of them African-American, female, and prostitutes, 1998. Um, okay, if anybody is ever worried or sloughs off why women are afraid to walk at night or go anywhere, look at every single fucking serial killer in history. It's almost all people that kill women mm -hmm. between the ages of 24 and, what, 32, I think? Yeah. I mean, actually, Jeffrey Dahmer killed young white men and mm -hmm. Asian men. I'm saying and most. There's always there's a few that have done like men and stuff, but most serial killers and murders are against women. They always right. have like some kind of female hatred. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah, but look at everybody else except for John Wayne Casey. <laughs> That's two out of all the serial killers in the world. Right. Right. Oh God, there's yeah. Can you guys just like stop hating us for like a minute? I'm like really nice. Don't kill me. Jefferson Parish Sheriff Harry Lee said that Tuesday, as many as four other suspects are being investigated. And he was quoted as saying, We never thought this was the work of one person. So again, you look up Victor Gant, 24 bodies, probably not his. Mm -hmm. He's an angry girlfriend and friend killing fuckface. Yeah. I was going to say pig slot person, but same thing. Authorities. He's, he's just eating bread with these pig dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Authorities said former New Orleans police officer Victor Gant, who initially was labeled as a suspect in the killings, remains under suspicion of two of them. Informally charging Elwood 47 with the murders of Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack, authorities painted the accused as a deviant who liked to inject his victims with a lethal mixture of drugs and have sex with their near lifeless bodies before dumping them. Whoa. So... Mm-hmm. The two that he was being charged with, Cheryl Lewis and Dolores Mack. Mack was trans, and so I don't know if she was originally put on the list as male, mm -hmm. you know? So, again, that list isn't exactly, um, you can't go by it. So she was strangled, and Lewis was asphyxiated. Traces of drugs were found in both their bodies. Elwood, authorities claimed, told an inmate in Florida prison that he enjoyed drugging people and having sex with them before they died. Uh, so, And he also said he got off on watching their eyes roll to the back of their heads. I don't know what the question is here. He would never specifically say, these are, yeah, I killed those people. But he definitely, I don't say things like that. So I feel like he's saying it without directly saying it. Yeah. And he became a suspect in the Lewis and Mack murders when authorities found him in the same area a year after their bodies were found. When questioned at the scene, he said he was changing oil in his cab. It was also noted in this article that like, he would sleep in his cab under the bridge of like this area on I-55 mm -hmm. at night a lot. It was kind of like a hang spot for him. Mm -hmm. According to a statement released by authorities, Elwood told them he wanted to confess to two incidents that investigators say took place off Louisiana 3160. I'm willing to say I met a black female i put her in the back seat that's where all my fares went and then i took her out in saint charles where i was later stopped and i put her body in the water i'm willing to give you that and then he also said i'm willing to go back to louisiana for those two overdose cases i had a black prostitute in the back of my car and i iv'd them 
I can't incriminate myself any more than I've already done. Officials would not comment on any physical evidence they have, but said at least one witness linked Elwood to the Lewis and Mack killings. Okay. So I don't know what they mean by witness. There wasn't any more details about witnesses. But it sounds like they have a lot of evidence. And he's also made such statements with references to homicides I've committed, quote unquote, and also, quote, black women I've killed. And if you remember, most of the victims Mm -hmm. that were found in the swamp were black women. Yeah. Besides the Lewis and Mack murders, Elwood is a strong suspect in nine other cases. So for the first time in 98, investigators also discussed two other homicides not initially linked to the serial killings. The last victim was found in April of 96 in South Kenner in Wagaman. Wagaman? And authorities said Elwood is a suspect in that case as well as February 94 case where the partially burned body of a teenage girl was found off airline highway in Gramercy. But that girl was also asphyxiated. So there's like different elements to it, but almost always suffocated or asphyxiated Hmm. is part of it. I wonder what with. Is it just like, is it like... It never says. I'm wondering if it's just manual strangulation. Well, what's Um, the difference between strangulation and asphyxiation? Like strangulation, I know that you're like choked, but asphyxiation you can, you, is with an object or in the water or are they interchangeable? Asphyxiation. The. The strangulation. All right. Oh, my God. These are like, well, I guess I'm going to read an answer from some know-it-all that went on a fucking Quora forum to answer. I just, I don't value this person at all. I'm just like, fucking dick. Anyway, (laughs) this is what Warren said. Strangulation is the cutting off of the blood supply to the brain by physically clamping down on the cardioid arteries in the neck. This is the only thing it can and does mean. Usually it also causes jugular distension by virtue of collateral pressure and it isn't definitive. Asphyxiation is completely different because it is only defined by the deprivation of gaseous tracheal oxygen. Asphyxiation can come about by different methods including choking, suffocation, inert gas dilution, and oxygen replacement poisoning okay okay so when you're let's say you're hung right by a rope you're strangled yeah because you're cutting off the blood flow to the brain right you choke on a grape you asphyxiated mm-hmm. that just means you can't get air right okay i got it one of my biggest fears is my kids choking on grapes I i'm some... gonna cut that shit in half until they're in college i was gonna say i was reading a thing where it was like cut your grapes in half until they're like 13 or something like that or yeah. five or whatever <laughs> 13 or five i don't know anything about kids Oh, here's that note about that. Um, St. John officials said Tuesday that at least one deputy has recalled seeing Elwood parked in his cab under the elevated I-55 where Elwood has confirmed he often spent the night. We still have eight unsolved homicides dating back to 1988, Jones said. Five of the victims fit the profiles like these in St. Charles Parish. Investigators first named Elwood as a suspect in November when he was serving time in Canton, Ohio, for violating probation on the Florida drug charge. After his release in Ohio, Elwood voluntarily returned to Louisiana, where he was promptly arrested for an outstanding traffic warrant and sentenced to four months in the Jefferson Parish Jail, where he's been held ever since. So they're doing this in 1998, and if I I know cop shows they're holding him on these traffic violations so, so they, they know where he is while yeah, they gather. you know gather evidence and get all their ducks in a row so that they can charge him with these murders so st charles parish sheriff saying parish sheriff is really hard parish sheriff parish parish sheriff yeah that is gonna st charles parish sheriff greg champagne okay this is a guy who was commenting a lot throughout this article oh my god is this how it's connected to svu because she had never even had a glass of champagne <laughs> 
Holy shit. Full circle. So he says, the cases have been hard to crack because they cross so many jurisdictions, but he challenged claims by some angry family members who said their loved one's deaths were overlooked because many of them were poor and black. A few short years ago, people were saying that police did not care about the victims because they were poor, black, and had questionable reputations. As shown by hundreds of thousands of dollars and thousands and thousands of investigator man hours, we do care and we continue to care. I mean, it's not unfounded that these families feel this way mm-hmm. just in in general terms and not coming after people personally you connect that with it getting a boost in being looked at and the boost came when two women were killed who were not sex workers mm-hmm. they were the ones that quote unquote mattered the victor mm-hmm. gant of it all kind of brought it back into a resurgence and then they started looking into this again like you can't find anything outside of this prior to victor gant mm-hmm. it's not crazy unfounded that they would assume this or think or think that it didn't matter there's a 2016 update i found in the huff post using dna testing that wad of chewing tobacco found near yeah karen uh there was a shoe print in tobacco yep found near karen iverster's body they are taking that in for retesting because in 95 it came back as inconclusive but they want to get it tested again because shit's changed a lot. Shit's changed. Technology has changed so much in 25 years that they feel like they could get more out of it at this point. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I should probably note that Elwood, the cab driver, Mm -hmm. he was convicted for one of the murders. Okay. So he was, um, so he's in prison. Okay. But they look at, they're looking at him for the other ones, but there's like, I found no other, no other information about it because they're like, okay, well he's in prison for. I wonder if any more bodies have been dumped there. So that's it. I did not know that about the, I keep wanting to say Vargas. Victor Um, Gant. Victor Gant. Mm-hmm. But if you look them up, because you can look up lawyers and officers and therapists and whatever, they're like, mm, poor rating. He's got like a 1.6. I'm like, how does he have anything? <laughs> but he's got like on all these rate uh, rate your civil servant sort of like stuff. And mm. he's got a really poor rating. It's like, mm. I fucking hope so. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Food. Oh, my God. Let's go eat. All right. I love you, babe. I love you. Hey, pod pals. Sorry, that was dumb. Follow us on Instagram at svupod for SVU content and updates. Email us with questions, stories, or whatever, and when me and Tasha can actually hang out again, we'll be reading them on the podcast. The email again is svupod at gmail.com. You can subscribe, rate us, review us, and tell your buds. Thanks. Tasha, I suck at this shit. I need you here.